You are listening to the Summit Church Garden City Podcast. Our vision is to treasure Christ above all else and live for more. So since we haven't had any music this morning, I'm going to sing you a song. You ready for this? You'll never forget this, believe me. Mm, to look sharp, read God's word and pray. To feel sharp, let God have his way. To be sharp, testify each day, and live for Jesus every day. <laughs> now those of you who are under 60 years old don't even recognize that. If you're over 60, that's an old shaving commercial ditty. And uh, my kids were going up, someone had changed the words on us. I thought it was pretty good. So Les, there you are. We started with music today. Is that okay? <laughs> okay. <clears throat> As I mentioned before, Ovi asked me a few weeks ago if I'd take two weeks and speak on the theme of discipleship. And last Sunday I spoke on why would we choose to live our lives as disciples of Christ, of the Lord Jesus. And today, I am going to speak on the theme, if we live, if we choose to live our lives as disciples of Christ, what does that look like day to day? And I'm going to start by giving you a quiz on what I shared last week. And if you get it right, you can stay for the potluck. <laughs> if you don't, McDonald's is down the street. So, <laughs> see what you got here. Okay, question number one. Of all the people in the world today... What was, my what was my conclusion about what percentage of them are people of faith? You remember? 100%. All of them are people of faith. Everyone has faith in something. I lost my place. Never put your notes down. When you're, uh, everyone has faith in something. I hope you caught my heart last week that I have chosen to have faith in the Lord Jesus to live my life. Chosen to be his disciple because of who he is, and the amazing promises in his word. I believe the Apostle Paul captures the awesomeness of who Christ is in his opening statement in the Gospel of John in the Bible when he said, He, the Lord Jesus, was in the beginning. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. John chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Theologian uh, John Stott wrote a classic book a number of years ago entitled The Incomparable Christ. Incomparable. I think Dr. Scott got it right. There's no one like him. Okay, question number two. Well, let me back up. There's one other verse in uh, Jeremiah 17, 7 and 8. Blessed are those... Good job back there. And... Uh, Blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are never bothered by heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves are green, stay green, and they, are never, and they never stop producing fruit. Jeremiah 17. Okay, question number two. The Greek word that is translated disciple in the New Testament. What English word do we get from that Greek word? Lucas said it, I think. Math. Math or mathematics. 
And so the connotation is being a student, to enroll or to become a pupil or a scholar, to come together to learn from, from that person, to follow someone, to be instructed and taught by them. That is a disciple of Christ, one who has committed their lives to the Lord Jesus to follow and learn and serve him with their lives. I like John 15, 5. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. In that verse, those who remain in me, abide in me, live in union with me, and I in them will produce much fruit. As you read this passage, as I read this passage, I can feel the intentionality of what Jesus wants us to do as disciples of Christ, to live our lives, to be careful, to listen, obey, follow, stay close to the Lord, believing that in Him we find life, a life that is fruitful and flourishes if I simply walk by faith in Him. Okay, question number three. The Apostle Paul, when he uh, wrote the book of Romans, he started and ended his letter with a certain phrase. Remember what that phrase was? Obedience, the obedience of faith, the obedience of faith. Faith requires obedience. If I say I have faith in something, but I'm not obedient, I, I don't really have faith. So Romans 1.5 and 16.26 are like bookends to this wonderful book of Romans that explains what Christ has done for us, what it means to live as a disciple of Christ, but it starts and ends with that phrase, the obedience of faith. Okay, question number four. This is the last one. I gave you a handout last week that had an illustration that contained six elements to focus on in growing as a disciple of Christ and three Bible passages for each element that I encouraged you to look up this week using the acronym START, S-T-A-R-T, as kind of a trellis or a guideline to getting in the Word. What was the name of that illustration? The wheel illustration. <clears throat> the wheel uh, these are six. These are six foundational. These elements are foundational in helping us grow as disciples of Christ to mature in our faith. And I'm going to give you an overview of each one uh, today. But I'd like to start first of all by addressing uh, maturing in our faith. What does that look like? The first passage I'd like to look at is Hebrews 5:12 through 14. For though by this time you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again the first principles of God's word. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. He is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their faculties trained by practice to distinguish good from evil. God wants us to grow, not be children all our lives in our faith, but to grow to maturity. <clears throat> and the Greek word for in this passage for maturity is the word teleos, and it's the word where we get our biological, in, in biological sciences, uh, it's the word we get, uh, the word we use to get our word telophase. Now, do you remember from your biology class what telophase is? Can you remember that? I'm sure that Susan knows, she's a nurse. Yeah, it's telophase is the last phase of five phases of cell division. It's when one cell becomes two cells, identical in characteristics. The connotation is that a mature believer becomes like Christ in his actions, in his thoughts, 
we are called to imitate Christ. And I like how 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being changed into his likeness from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Also consider uh, Colossians 2, 6, and 7. As therefore you receive the Lord Jesus Christ, so live in him. How did you receive him? By faith. How do you live in him? By faith. Rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you are taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Grow up in him. We receive the Lord Jesus by faith, now live in him by faith. Learn what it means to live by faith in Christ every day of your life and in every area of your life. That's part of growing as a disciple. I want to live by faith in my relationships, in my career, in my finances, my values, my choices, uh, every area. Lord, teach me how, and I will follow you and obey you. Remember my verse from Galatians 2.20 last week? I remember that. Remember I said... A young believer asked me, what's, what's uh, the most important verse in the Bible to know if you're going to grow in your faith? After six months of thinking, this was the one I landed on. Therefore, or I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. It's that faith in the Son of God that gives us life. I like how the Apostle Paul describes this in Philippians 2, 12 and 13. This is, this is my paraphrase. Therefore, my beloved, as you have now always obeyed, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, with awe and reverence and deep respect for God. For it is God who is working in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him, which brings fullness of life to you. Or how the Apostle Paul says it in 2 Peter, when he says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. For if these things are yours and, what's the word? Abound. These things are yours and abound. They'll keep you from being ineffective, and not fruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. For me, it means not just to go through my life a little bit, follow Jesus a little bit, but to let all these things abound in my life to a greater and greater extent. Do you feel the intentionality in these passages? What Jesus said, what Paul says, living as a disciple of Christ is a lifestyle that has been chosen by each of us and is being pursued by faith. It's not passive. Several years ago, uh, I read an article by a pastor. Go ahead and switch the slide on this one. Several years ago, um, I read an article by a pastor on what was called the six stages of spiritual maturity or stages of faith. And since then, I've seen other write-ups on this concept uh, by a number of Christian writers, and I believe they're capturing something that you see throughout Scripture. This is how I would summarize or describe this idea of stages of spiritual faith. If you can read this, I think it's big enough. Stage one is exploring faith. Stage two is building faith. Stage three is owning faith. Stage four is wrestling with faith. Stage five is striving faith. And stage six is relishing faith. 
Now, now let me explain. Stage one is exploring faith, or you could say discovering faith, or waiting, um, uh, or wanting to know God, that desire to want to know Him. I think that this stage is reflected in the Bible, in the book of Acts, uh, where it talks about the story of Cornelius. Here's what it says. Cornelius said to Peter, Your days are coming. For four days ago I was praying, when suddenly a man was standing before me, clothed in a radiant robe. He told me, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard. Send now to Joppa and summon Simon Peter, who is staying in the home of Simeon, a tanner down by the shore. So I sent for you at once, and now you're here, waiting, and we are waiting here before the Lord, anxious to hear what you have to tell us. Well, you see Cornelius' heart. He'd been seeking for God, but he didn't know how. I'm sure that when Peter heard what Cornelius said, uh, he began praying in his heart, heart something like what the Apostle Paul prayed in the book of Ephesians. May God give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which you have been called, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power in us who believe according to the working of his great might. It's not just our working to walk as disciples of Christ, the Lord Jesus is working in us. I believe that this stage is reflected also in passages like 1 Peter 2, 2, and 3. Like newborn babes, long for the pure spiritual milk of God's word, that you may grow up, that you may grow up to salvation, for you've tasted the kindness of God. Having helping someone to learn to walk as a disciple of Christ, having someone who helps you learn how to walk as a disciple of Christ is really critical in this stage. Someone you can process with being God's word with. My first semester in college, two fellow students knocked on my door one night and said, hey, we're talking to people about their faith in God. Are you interested? Could we chat for a few minutes? Well, God had been preparing my heart, and that night, Steve and Al led me to Christ. But that's another whole story. Uh, but they really stuck with me. They connected me with other believers, became good friends. We shared life together, played football together, taught me the Bible and how to feed myself spiritually from God's Word, got me in a Bible, <clears throat> Bible study where I began to grow, took me to a good Bible-believing church, uh, <clears throat> among other things. And they really helped me learn how to walk with Christ as a disciple over the next two years. And I am so grateful for that. These fellow students were, I'm going to use the word here, disciple-makers. They wanted to be disciple-makers. They wanted to help others walk as disciples of Christ. You can be a disciple-maker. In fact, I think God calls all of us to do that. Matthew 28 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you, which includes this last command. Go and make disciples of all nations. So learn how to do that. It is as simple as coming alongside someone, becoming friends, walking with them, processing life together, and then, and then help them get started growing in their faith. I have a resource for you that I'll tell you about uh, at the end of the sermon. Okay, stage three is owning your faith, becoming dedicated to your faith, living as personally as a committed disciple of Christ. I believe that this stage is reflected in, in Acts 17, talking about the Jews in Berea. They found that the Jews in Berea were of more noble character and much more, much more open-minded than those in Thessalonica. They were hungry to learn, 
and eager to receive God's word. You know, what about you? Are you hungry to learn and eager to receive God's word? That's an invitation. That's not a challenge. It's an invitation to step up and do that. Every day, they open the scrolls of Scripture to search and examine them and to verify what Paul had taught them. They owned their faith and were dedicated to it and were going after it. So that's what a disciple is. And then stage four is wrestling with your faith or deepening your faith as one, describes, one author describes it. Um, this one author says this, Deepening your faith is a general awareness of the need to rethink spiritual maturity as more nuanced than you initially thought. And struggling with deeper issues of faith, most often this includes a deep journey inward, reclaiming and reworking one's past. Reclaiming and reworking one's past. Trusting God to set you free, give life to the dead, dead areas in your life, make you a new creation. Bringing faith to bear on deep personal issues like shame or guilt or anger or fear or self-image or regret or emotional triggers. How do I bring my faith to bear on those things? So it's just not this outward facade, but it's really changing me from the inside out. A Christian counselor, Larry Crabb, years ago wrote a book entitled Inside Out. How real change happens if you're willing to start from the inside and work out. But this takes the commitment to be vulnerable to be honest with what you are questioning and struggling with. You remember last week that I mentioned what was the number one, uh, there was a survey that was taken of 4,000 uh, brothers and sisters in Christ who are helping others walk as disciples of Christ. And they asked, what's the most important things in helping others walk as a disciple of Christ? Number one was personal engagement in God's word. This one right here is number, was number eight. This idea of being, being willing to be vulnerable, to be real about what you're feeling, what you're struggling with, about the questions you have. And it may not be for everybody. You can't do it with everybody, but for those you're closest to, boy, open up. Work through that. The problem is, is that many believers hit a wall at this point. Because deep personal issues or wounds or deep questions that come up on how faith applies. And I've seen people walk away from their faith at this point. A person has to decide, am I going to push through and continue to walk by faith in Christ, grow in my faith, when I have questions I can't answer? Or when I have personal issues that are causing me to question my faith? Or question God's love, or question God's promises? I believe that all of us go through this stage at some point. So don't lose heart. Hang in there. God is at work in you. Don't try to get, but don't try to do it on your own. Two are better than one. It's part of the process of maturing spiritually that I think God allows us to go through these times of doubts or questions. I like the passage in John 6 that I think reflects this. Jesus said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? And drew back and no longer went about with him. Jesus said to the twelve, do you also wish to go away? Simon Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. 
Peter struggled with this saying too, but he said, Lord, I'm going to hang in there. There's something I don't understand yet. I believe you're going to help me understand as time goes on. He didn't understand, but he, but he hung in there. And I like the promise in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brethren, when you meet various trials of various kinds. You meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Going through trials, going through doubts, going through questions is not bad because it forces you to wrestle deeper on what it means to be spiritually mature and what it means to walk with Christ. So don't give up. Hang in there. And stage five is a thriving faith. If you break through that wall and deal with those deeper issues, what happens is your faith begins to thrive because you're personally experiencing such things as knowing the truth and the truth setting you free, joy of a transformed life, God's power making you a new creation, being set free from sin and death, the flourishing life that, that belonging to Christ brings, grace, peace, love, hope, the fellowship of God and the saints, which is really sweet, becoming more than a conqueror in facing life trials, the power of God's word to feed your soul, and a life of purpose, a life that is bearing much fruit. You begin to thrive. As you begin, and you begin to understand, I believe, what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 3 when he said, But whatever gain I had, I counted it loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth, surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. There's a sweetness that comes after you wrestle through those things and you come out with a deeper faith in God. And stage six is relishing your faith. A deep intimacy with God. A deep intimacy with God, friendship with God that has grown over a lifetime. A relationship with God that becomes all-encompassing. Prospect of eternity just in front of you, beginning to overshadow everything in this world. Where, you, where we'll reign with Christ as his bride and share his glory forever. I'm in this stage. I'm 72, and I'm at the stage, I relish my relationship with Christ. I've been walking with Christ now for 52 years. And all I've experienced, I am so looking forward to eternity. There is nothing in this world that attracts me anymore. And it's that, that relishing of that great faith in Christ. And at this stage, you can identify with the Apostle Paul in Colossians 3 when he says, If you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not the things that are on the earth. For you've died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Amen? Hallelujah? I am looking forward to that day. <laughs> and a powerful verse. In the book of, uh, there's a, a book series called The Chronicles of Narnia. Have anybody read all seven of them? It, 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 it's really good. Uh, and in, the, in book seven, the last battle, uh, Aslan, the lion, who is the Lord Jesus, as he appears in the country of Narnia, closes down the world, time comes to an end, and with great joy he calls those who belong to him to come run with him in his country, which is heaven. And as they run, it is mind-boggling beautiful. Everything is fully alive, no death, no sin. It's just amazing. 
And to their amazement, they run right up this huge waterfall. And when they get to the top, Aslan stops, stops them and says, now look back. And what they see is beautiful beyond belief. And then he asks them to look forward, forward, and when they do, they gasp because everything in front of them is twice as big and twice as beautiful as anything they've experienced up to that point. This occurs over and over, and I think the picture that C.S. Lewis is trying to paint in our minds is that no matter how far we move into eternity, whatever we've experienced up to that point, what is yet in front of us will always be, be twice as big and twice as beautiful as anything we've experienced up to that point again. That's the infiniteness of God. So we can't get our minds around that. He's infinite. One author says, I believe that God has made eternity just long enough for us to fully get to know him. Now muse on that one for a while. This is the infiniteness of God. Spiritual maturity is like that. No matter how far you move into your relationship with God, it only keeps becoming more and more glorious, more and more encompassing, more and more full of life, but it takes courage to live as a, by faith in Christ. But God's promise is that in the end, you'll have joy unspeakable. We will never be disappointed. Now, let's go back to the wheel illustration. From the handout I gave you last week, and talk about the six key elements that help us grow in spiritual maturity in walking with God. There's copies of my handout out on, out on the uh, table where you came in the day, but I also posted these sermon notes and my handout online, and I'll give you the website on the end. So you can download it if you want to rework these verses, go through this again, look at the verses, look at the illustration. It's online. If you wanted to, we could spend a 10-week series on each one of these six topics, or each one of these six elements. They're, they're that deep. Uh, but I'd like to simply introduce them today so you can begin to think about how to integrate them into your life. The Apostle Paul ends his second letter, I'm sorry, the Apostle Peter ends his second letter by saying, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's think about how these elements contribute to that, that growth process. The first element is making Christ Jesus the center of our lives. We have to realize that the Lord Jesus is already the center of all things. And making him the center of our lives simply puts him in a place, a powerful place to be in a cornerstone on which we can build our entire lives. Ephesians 2 says, So you are no longer strangers and citizens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, and members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Colossians 1 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for in him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. Now, how many times does the phrase all things appear in that? Quite a few. All things means all things. If I really believe that the Lord Jesus had all things under his power, his control, how would that affect how I live by faith in him? 
Romans 19 says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat upon it is called Faithful and True, and on his robe and on his thigh he has a name inscribed, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's who he is. He is the center of creation. He's the center of all things in this world. He's the center of eternity. He's the center of all things. When I was in my 20s, God gave me 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15 as my life verse. And this verse changed my life. It says, For the love of Christ controls us, because we are convinced that one has died, therefore all have died. We are convinced that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for him, who for their sake died and was raised. I made a decision at that point in my life that I'd live it out all my life. I would live for him. That if the Lord Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords, and if he is the one through whom all things were made and hold together, if all power in heaven and on earth has been given to him, and if he loved me enough to die for me, I wanted him at the center of my life. Walk with God, maturing spiritually, starts with making the Lord Jesus the cornerstone the center of your life. Learn what that means. The second element is prayer. 1 Corinthians 1.9 says, God is faithful. God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Our faith begins with a relationship with God that is so different from any other so-called religion of the world. Ask any other religion, do you have a, a close, personal, father-son relationship betrothed, betrothee relationship with your God? Oh, no, no, he's out there. I have to appease him. I have to do something. But God has made it possible for us to have that type of relationship. And it deepens over time with communication. Take time to learn to talk things over with the Lord personally. What you're feeling, expressing uh, your love and thanks to him, your joys, your sorrows. Develop your friendship with the Lord. It is the gift to us from him as our good shepherd who cares for the sheep. Uh, there's been several studies done on the levels of communication. You probably have seen these. It usually comes down to five, there's five levels of communication in relationships. And level five is sharing the deepest things in your heart, the deepest things about yourself that you'll only share with someone if there's a trust relationship. Strive to grow to this level in your relationship with the Lord. Share your heart with Him. Share your frustrations. Share your fears. Share your doubts. Uh, there's times you just need to lament over something because it's, it's broken your heart. Share those with Him. And also strive for this level of depth in relationship with a few of your close friends. You won't have it with everybody, but you will with a few. And especially in your, if you're married, especially in your marriage, strive to bring a communication down to that level at times. And I love the old hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Now, I won't sing this one. I sang one at the start. But I love the first verse. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Now, I was thinking of having a rousing Romanian course on this this morning, but since I don't know Romanian, I won't do that. My daughter, Zoeanna, uh, will often say, I'm going out to have a date with Jesus. 
And away she goes with her notebook and Bible and heart, ready to share some friendship time with the Lord who deeply loves her. That always encourages me when she says that. I'm going out for a date with Jesus. And I thought, "Ah, I need to do that. (laughs) Share my deepest things. But there's also another side of prayer to remember that God is the difference maker. Sometime go through your Bible and underline or take a look at the phrase, but God. But God. Things are happening. Oh, man, it looks bad. And all of a sudden, this little phrase, but God. And the whole thing changes. Hebrews 4.16 reminds us, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And I love Romans 4.17. Abraham believed God the God who gives life to the dead and calls into existence things that do not exist. I want that person on my team. And he invites us, ask, ask. Friends, prayer is a gift. Learn how to take advantage of it moment by moment as you go through life. Okay, the third element is the Word of God. We talked about this quite a bit last week, but I want to throw out a few more thoughts. Joshua 1.8 says, This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate on it once in a while. That's all it says? No, day and night. Meditate on it all the time. I don't know when it isn't day or night. Meditate on it all the time, that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you'll make your way prosperous, and then you'll have good success. Joshua 1.8. That is an amazing promise. Many have found that scripture memory is very important if you're going to let God's word impact your life. The navigators have a scripture memory course called the Topical Memory System of 60 Bible verses that teaches us how to memorize scripture and review them, review them after you memorize them. And I have two copies of this course that I'd like to give away. They're right here. If, you, if there are two of you in this family this morning, who would like to team up and be the scripture memory cheerleaders here at Summit. I'd like to give you these free of charge. And when you have all 60 verses memorized, word perfect, with the reference, uh, Sarah and I would like to take you out for dinner. I want to hear how it impacted your life. So I'll have these. You can talk to me at the potluck, or if not, I'll give them to Zoeanna, who's your music leader here. And you can ask her, but team up with somebody. So can I ask two of you to consider doing this? Also, there's a website called BibleGateway.com. And it's an excellent website to use looking up different translations of the Bible. I like to uh, look up Bible verses in a number of translations and paraphrases. And then write out the verse or passage in my own words when I'm done. Uh, It has helped me deepen my grasp and understanding of God's Word. So take a look at this website. The fourth element is fellowship. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. Let us consider, let us consider, let us think about, let us ponder how we can stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but what? Encouraging one another. And all the the more as you see the day drawing near, the day of Christ drawing near. Thanks for tuning in to the Summit Church Garden City Podcast. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you live for more.